Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie, and Happy New Year. 2023 is here, which is crazy. Season two, episode one is officially upon us. And to start this new season out and this new year out, I am going to be finishing up some very creepy holiday stories and also reading some of my very favorite Glitch in the Matrix creepy encounters and let's not meet stories. So with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. this story by saying that it happened in the spring or summer of 2006 when I was a senior in high school. We live in a Midwestern town, about 300,000 people. Anyways, back in high school, we used to like to all gather together in my mom's Ford expedition and drive out onto the gravel roads of the country to go ghost hunting. Rarely did we actually leave the car. On this night, though, we drove out further than we had ever gone. So far out that the road became a minimal maintenance road. It looked like a covered wagon path from the Oregon Trail. Two lanes of dirt from wheels and a patch of grass in between. I'm not sure what led to those troubles, but at some point the engine in my mom's car started to rumble and stop. This was back in the day where, at least where we lived, cell phone reception was basically nothing outside of city limits. We were stuck on this minimum maintenance road, not able to get a single connection to call somebody back in town. And we were all hanging out outside of the car. This was around 11 to 12 at night, early morning. And as we were standing out there, we all noticed how the cows that were out there on the pasture side were all moving in closer and closer to us and mooing a lot. Until they were all as close to us as the fence would allow on the other side. At the time, we figured the cows were hungry. I would learn later on that cows will do this when they feel threatened by a predator, which comes into play a little bit later. Eventually, we were able to contact my mom and she called a tow company and came out to get us. Only problem was our friend Abby had also been contacted and was on her way out to get us completely unaware that we had gotten a lift back in the town. As Abby approached our now abandoned location, except the car, she noticed a large black figure far out in the fields that was running at a really fast rate towards her. Getting spooked and realizing we were not there, she turned her car around and began to book it back to town. As Abby was driving back on the gravel road doing about 40 to 50 miles an hour, A large black creature jumped from the ditch and rammed the side of her car, got up, did a hop, and ran off. She said that it had teeth like a wolf and a long black tail, but was much larger than a wolf and about the size of a brown bear, which we do not have around here, or wolves, just coyotes and the occasional cougar or mountain lion. As my buddy and I were driving back, out to the car to meet or wait for the tow truck, we noticed our friend Abby's car approaching us from the opposite direction where the car was. We both pulled over and talked Abby. She told us about what she had experienced and she was genuinely spooked. So much so that when she heard a dog in the distance barking, she ran into her car and booked it out of there. And this absolutely terrified me for two reasons. One... Abby was one of those girls who hung with the guys, didn't ever show much fear or anything, and she was genuinely terrified. Two, this is the bigger reason. I had another friend who did not know Abby, who had earlier, at most a few months prior, told me a story about how she had been driving far out on the same street we were on with some friends. And they all noticed far out in the fields a large black figure 
that was keeping pace with their car. It then went down to all four legs and quickly sped ahead and away from them. It could have been the other way, keeping pace on all four and then stood up and went faster. I forget. This friend did not know Abby at all. So there was no way they were colluding and making up a story to scare me. Later, I would see the dent in Abby's car door, along with the black tuft of fur that got stuck in the door handle. I really wish to this day she would have taken the fur to be tested. If I had contact with her, I would reach out to ask. I found the subreddit related to Dogman that seems to maybe be the case, but I would love to hear other people's opinions. I think the part that gets me the most is how none of us were aware that something was circling those cows, making them nervous and all herding towards us. We just chilled outside the car like a bunch of dumbass kids in a horror movie. And also, my friend and I were absolutely terrified to go back out to the car to wait for the tow truck. And of course, my mom didn't believe my story at all. Nothing happened as we waited, but it was definitely one of those most intense hours of my life, scanning the fields that went as far as you could see. Our brains just kept playing tricks on us that we were seeing something. The fact that it was a full moon or close to one made it worse sitting there since we could see in any direction as we sat in a fishbowl. One Christmas Eve, me, my mom, and my sister were driving back home from a very late family gathering. Our house was about 20 minutes from the party. I think I was about 18, my sister was 14. Our house was in a new development, but the drive there was rather solitary, kind of through the woods. The highway was one of those winding highways along a river where you drive about 40 miles an hour max. To the right was all woods, and to the left was the river. There's one turn-off road onto a small bridge to the left a few miles before our town turn-off. And this night, I remember sitting in the front seat, kind of drowsy and ready to go to bed. It must have been two in the morning. My mom always used to drive really slow, which drove me nuts. It would always irritate me. She'd also tap the brakes constantly, also annoying. This night, we were driving along and just before a bend in the road, and a few feet past the bridge, there was a car positioned perpendicular to the road. That is blocking the road. There were two men just sitting in the car looking at us, not trying to turn around or anything, just blocking the road. My mom slammed on the brakes and I've never seen her move more quickly. She cursed and threw the car into reverse, and turned into the bridge to turn around. Because at the end of the bridge on the other side, another car had blocked the other road. I just remember my heart slamming against my ribs. I had no idea what was going on, but I do remember my mom saying something like, these men were up to no good. She'd lived in Mexico City in the 70s and had experienced lots of crime in shady situations. The idea that something terrible was planned was brought home when we saw that the other guy was blocking the end of the bridge. My mom managed to turn the car around and hit the gas and we got the hell out of there. We drove back to my aunt's house, no cell phones, and called the police. They took a long time, but finally, they gave us police escort back home. I never drove that way home again. I took the longer route on another road. We never did find out what those guys were up to, but after all the crime stories I've read, I can only imagine. It was so, so scary. I'm glad my mom was a cautious driver and that she surprised me with her skills. So if you drive a long, scary, desolate, lonely road home, drive slow and be on the lookout. My sister is a student in South London, 
and has lived in some pretty awful student accommodations during her time studying. This particular house she lived in had trouble with the front door lock and was just off a very busy main road. She had four other housemates and her room was in the attic, which obviously is a setup for all creepy happenings, but in reality was a really nice conversion. On this particular evening, she was planning on heading out later on to celebrate New Year's Eve locally with her friends. She was in the house alone while she got ready and had left her room to put her makeup on in the bathroom. And while she was doing this, she heard a really loud knock on her front door and some scuffling outside. Assuming it was one of her housemates coming back to grab something they'd forgotten, she headed downstairs to let them in. As she got closer to the door, she heard voices she didn't recognize. I could see the shapes of two people through the frosted glass. We've lived in London all of our lives and are both probably quick to not trust a situation. So she kept quiet and slowly made her way back upstairs when the door literally flies open with a huge bang and a man and a woman come flying in. She could smell the alcohol on these two from the floor up and from the way they were talking, she could tell they were totally off their faces on a shit ton of drugs too. As they immediately start to force entry into the first bedroom on the ground floor and grab anything they can find, my sister is in a panic and makes a dash up the staircase to her attic room to stay out of their way and out of sight until she can figure out what to do next. In her room, she finds her phone and immediately calls the police. She has to tell the operator what's going on as quietly as possible and is told that the police will be there in 12 minutes. She told me that this 12 minutes was the longest and most terrifying 12 minutes of her life as she hears the banging and smashing noises from downstairs starting to move up the house. It is, of course, at this moment that she remembers the staircase, which leads up to the attic, is still down. And she hadn't had time to pull it up behind her in her frenzied dash to her room. To counter this, frankly, appalling realization, she moves every item of furniture over the trapdoor and then sits on the top of it, all to stop them gaining entry if they try. As she sits there, too afraid to even breathe, and her heartbeat racing in her ears, she hears them kick down the very last door in the house, right next to the staircase. The woman is screaming and smashing things up, and the man is shouting instructions about what items to steal. These total dickheads are so confident and off their faces that they don't even bother to keep quiet, which makes them so much scarier. She hasn't got a doubt that if a person confronted them or they found someone in the house, they would become very violent. As it becomes obvious to both them and her that the last place to try is her room, she hears the most beautiful sound anyone has ever, ever heard. As the yell of police echoes up the stairs. These two fuckers might be out of it, but they know what this means. The guy just clean jumps out the second floor window and lands on the shed and escapes over the garden fence, but the woman can't figure out which way to run and is caught by the police, screaming, biting, scratching, and swearing. My sister, sitting on top of the chest of drawers over the trapdoor, is exactly the same position she has been for those seemingly never-ending 12 minutes. It can only bring herself to open the trap door once the police tell her over and over again that it's safe to do so. The devastation of the house is so shocking and makes her so grateful that she had had a place to hide, but also compounds how terrifying it was to have to sit helpless and trapped in the attic as these people violently tore apart every house in the room, systematically making their way closer and closer to her hiding place. She speaks to the police, gives her statement, and then calls my mom in a total wreck. She goes to stay with my mom and little sister for a few days while it's sorted out, and then moves in with her boyfriend, who's also a student at the same uni. She only returns to collect her stuff, which at least is still around. Everyone else, door locked or unlocked, had their valuables stolen. This story strikes me with total dread, 
and it's probably one of the scariest things I've ever heard. I mean, imagining what it must have been like for her makes me feel sick. The man never got caught, and the landlord, who never fixed their front door lock before the break-in, after being repeatedly asked, tried to make my sister keep paying for rent after she moved out as per the contract agreement. Well, fuck that. She gave him an elaborate array of places he could shove his contract, and I'm pleased to report he must have chosen one of them because that was the end of that. This was a few years ago. It was pretty late, past 1.30, 2 a.m. I was living with this boy, John, who was pretty abusive. And he had gotten really jealous at this party we were at earlier that night. Not even an hour after we had gotten home, he tossed me out onto our front porch and locked the door behind me. I was knocking and pleading for him to please let me back inside. I was still wearing what I had worn to the party and it was freezing out. I wasn't sure what to do. He had my phone, purse, and wallet in the house with him. So I just sat on the porch crying. When he turned off the lights both inside and outside the house, I knew he wasn't going to let me back in. I felt so helpless and cold. I thought about knocking on a neighbor's door though he didn't have many, but I had anxiety about waking any of them up and causing trouble for my boyfriend. So instead, I decided I would try to walk to the gas station and motel, which was a little bit of less than a mile away, so I could use their phone to try to call a girlfriend and see if I could sleep over with her. Ironically enough, the road I was walking on was Donner Pass Road, so the freezing cold was fitting. But anyway, a a little bit into the walk, this tall white pickup truck was approaching on the opposite side of the road that I was on. I tried not to make eye contact for obvious reasons, but then I heard the truck stopping and beginning to make a U-turn, and my heart just started pounding. I just about froze up, but forced myself to speed walk at the very least. The truck pulled up to me and this guy rolled down his window and asked what I was doing out this late. I told him how I was going to meet my friend at the gas station and that she was expecting me. He sort of smiled and offered me a ride. I said, no, thank you, citing that I shouldn't hitchhike. And he told me, well, good. I don't pick up hitchhikers or anyone. You don't look like a hitchhiker, though. You just look like you need some help kept driving next to me and told me I shouldn't think he was a creep and he pulled out what looked like a police badge and told me he had just gotten off duty, which is why he was in civilian clothes and out so late. He said he wouldn't mind driving next to me just to make sure I get to where I'm heading safely. I'm naive and a bit too trusting of his kindness and credentials, and when he offered me a ride again... I said that it would be nice because the gas station wasn't that far away anyway. He popped the door open for me and I hopped in. The radio was low. It was a little bit messy. The ashtray was full of cigarettes. There was a lot of newspapers on the passenger floor. As I was moving my feet, some of the paper shifted, showing a pair of handcuffs, some coffee cups, empty water bottles, rags, a highlight-colored bandana, and some other things. He apologized, saying that it was the truck that he used to go hunting, but it was super warm, so I was happy and didn't mind at all. He told me that his name was John. He asked why I was scantily dressed without a jacket, and I started to tell him about the party and the fight I'd been in with my boyfriend. He was super charming and attentive. He even laughed that he could go back and arrest him. I asked him about him, and he told me about his family, that he was a young dad, that he had a wife and a daughter, a son and a dog. And I told him 
that it was like he had the perfect little family. And he laughed and said he certainly did. Then it had sort of clicked for me to ask if I could use his phone. But he said no, because he had to save some of his battery. We were approaching the gas station and he drove right past it. I politely said, oh, I think that's the one. But he didn't answer me. I felt sick to my stomach. My heart started pounding. I started getting choked up. My eyes started tearing up as I was looking out the windows and watching the lights behind us getting further and further away. I mean, it was hard for me to even speak, but somehow I murmured, asking if he could please turn around, and he ignored me. Please turn around, I kept saying. And whenever I would look at him, he just was empty-eyed and emotionless, I mean, totally dead and glazed. I looked back out the window and down at the road to see if maybe we were going slow enough that I could just make a leap out of the car without seriously injuring myself. I remember always hearing, never go to the second location. But I thought about the possibility of jumping out and breaking an ankle and how it would be a lot harder to get away with one foot as opposed to two. And debating with myself that there was snow on the ground, but then again, snow is hard to get along in, especially when you're not fully clothed. I feel so dumb now, too, because I wasn't even tied up or anything. I was just so scared. Like, there was nothing but trees and empty road and us. I was crying pretty badly at this point and asked if I could please borrow his phone again. I don't know why I even asked. And he told me to stop talking. Then he started talking underneath his breath and saying... Girls shouldn't be out so late. You shouldn't have been alone this late. Look at what you're doing to me. Dressed like a slut. And other derogatory things. As he kept saying these terrible things, too many to type out here, I I wasn't even responding. I was just crying and trying to think past the fear I was feeling. I remember the pair of handcuffs that I saw underneath the papers beneath my feet, so... I used that little, I don't know how to describe it, like scoopy motion. And I managed to use my feet to scoop the handcuffs up and use my heels and toes to push them up under the bottom of my seat as far as I could. I was thinking of different things I could do to try to help myself, like if we were close enough to some upcoming lights or structures, if I ever made it to them, I could just grab the wheel and cause us to crash into them. Or maybe how if I got lucky enough for a cab to pass by or cop to pass us, I could grab the wheel and swerve so he would appear to be drunk driver and we'd get pulled over. I guiltily thought about the possibility if this man is just having a weird night and how if I did anything, it would hurt him. But I told myself that sort of thinking sort of got me into this mess. He pulled off the road where there was still woods on both sides of us and on his side of the wooded trees were closer to the road. On mine, there was a small gap fully covered in thick, I don't know how many feet of snow, before the trees thickly picked up maybe 10 to 16 yards away. He turned off the car and coldly said there was something wrong with the car and to get out with him. As he grabbed the keys and was stepping out of the car, I grabbed onto the center console and cried and pleaded not to make me get out with him because it was too cold. He turned around to face me, his door still open, and shouted at me to get out of the car because we had to go check out the truck bed hatch. I dug my fingernails deeper into the console, thinking that my cries of no and head shaking would cause him to come around to my side of the car and drag me out himself. I was crying and said, Please, John, I'm so cold and scared. I was thinking of everything I ever heard. Humanize yourself. Use first names. He stared at me in this way like I can't even describe it to this day. I don't even know how to start. He got back in the car and I slinked towards my window. Scared he would drag me over the console. He turned off the headlights and everything just looked dark blue. 
He stared at the steering wheel for what felt like years before lighting a cigarette and looked me out his window and back at me and then back out of his window. He heard me shuffle my feet on the newspapers. I was just adjusting my legs, but while still staring out of his window, he told me if I thought about running, he had a quick way to get me where he wanted me. And oddly enough, I was sort of thinking of running minutes before that, but reason that if you wanted me out of the car, then I should definitely stay in. Otherwise, he would just chase me or shoot me. In case he had hunting rifles in the back, I didn't dare look. And I'm glad I was right. I think at that point, I sort of hit some sort of bottom of my reserve, and instead of panic, there was just numbness and exhaustion. There was still an occasional hot tear or two, but I just remember being numb. I talked to a psychiatrist about this sort of thing, and he thinks it just comes from my ex-boyfriend's giving me PTSD. It was dead quiet, but I finally just barely audibly told him that my friend was still waiting for me and asked about his wife and children, and he flatly said he didn't have a wife or children and that his house was empty. I asked him what he was thinking about, and he said, I'm thinking of what to do with you. He didn't say it angrily. He just said it flatly and coldly which sort of scared me more. I did start getting worked back up to cry. And at that point, he told me not to cry and turned the car on, offering me some heat. I just cried and said I wanted to go home. Eventually, he started driving and kept driving until we were approaching a gas station. I was gauging the right time to reach for the wheel, but before I could... He started slowing down. While pulling up, he told me not to tell anyone or he would find me. Then he told me all he was doing was teaching me a lesson not to hitchhike with strangers. He was almost coming to a complete stop when he told me to get out before he changes his mind. Before he could even get another look at me to assess my understanding, I was already down out of the truck and sprinting towards the gas station. The panic was overwhelming me, but then I stopped and remembered to try and see his license plate. I turned around, but only caught the blur of the last three numbers as he was driving off. I ran inside and asked the clerk behind the counter to please call the police, and I waited until the officer got there. And I'll be honest, I was a little scared it would be John. My fears melted away when the new face policeman got there. I gave him the description of John, his appearance, the vehicle color and type, the parts of the license plate number that I had caught, the fact that he said he was an off-duty cop, just basically anything I could. I asked him if he could look at the camera and the officer disappeared in the back for a while and then came back out saying that there was nothing on them. I asked if I would be able to look and the officer said no and asked me if I didn't trust him and I told him of course I did. The officer gave me a ride to my friends, lecturing me for hitchhiking, consisting of him repeatedly asking if I knew who Ted Bundy was. Of course I knew. I was just naive to think it could never happen to me, and I was desperate for some warmth. I never heard anything back about the report that was made, so I would try to follow up, and each time I did, they never got back to me aside from this one time I was told my case number didn't exist but that didn't stop me from trying to follow up. Throughout the months and the years that I asked my friend, whose home I slept over at that one night, if they ever heard of any weirdness or anything like that since the incident had happened to her or anyone up there, and she always says no. So I sort of let it go and just try to tell myself that maybe he actually was just trying to teach me a lesson or something. I mean, I definitely never hitchhiked again. So if it was a lesson, it certainly worked. I, I never heard anything back having to do with the case. I never have heard of any other odd experiences up there. Maybe it was just one man trying to teach me something. But honestly, sometimes I think I'd tell myself all of that to help me sleep better at night. It all felt really real. And even if it wasn't real... I'm really glad I didn't get out of the car in the woods that night. 
For context, I'm a 22-year-old male, and I live in a large city in the Midwest. Now, I drive for Lyft while putting myself through trade school. I drive for other similar companies, but that's besides the point. I have many horror stories from those as well, but I'll tell those another time. It was Christmas Eve 2020, and I was running Lyft for a few hours before heading to my mom's with my new baby and wife. Nothing special going on for the night, just the usual. I get a ride request, and it was a pickup from this kind of lower-income apartment complex. No big deal. I arrive, and I find my passenger, and he has all of his belongings. Several boxes of stuff. And now my car is a 2006 Chevy Impala, so it's not too big. We get all of his stuff loaded up, barely, and we're on our way. During the ride, he's crying, saying his girlfriend was cheating on him, and he had walked in on them earlier that night. He couldn't stay there because it was her name on the lease. So I was taking him to a hotel. Now, in my city, we have a street that's well-known for having vices, hookers, drugs, gangs, weapons, and shady motels, the works. We get to the motel, and he asks me to wait for him to check in and get his key. No problem, man, I say. I'll confess, I break the rules a little bit when it comes to lift. I have a gun hidden in a concealed holster secured to an underside of my driver's seat for protection. Reason being, driving lift and other contract apps, I've had knives and guns pulled on me, as well as people have tried to fight me, rob me, and all kinds of other things. But like I said, another time. This motel was on the street that I mentioned before. Homeless people were everywhere. There was a dude on the far corner of the complex that still had a needle in his arm, passed out against the building. And I'm a big fan of true crime and horror narration, so I'm on edge. He gets his key. The whole motel is ground level. So to help the guy out, I drive to his door. As I mentioned before, he had a lot of stuff. So I started to help him unload the stuff. While on my second trip getting stuff, I saw a guy come out of a room just to the south of my car, followed by two ladies. They came up to the room I was next to, not my passenger. One of the ladies pounded on the door and then opened it. And that's when I saw the guy raise a fucking shotgun up out of his long coat and storm into the room and the two ladies followed him, slamming the door behind them. Following, I heard a lot of yelling and shouting. I was just waiting for a shot stirring out. Out of nowhere, my passenger came up behind me. I can take this man. Go ahead and take off. Have a Merry Christmas. And he gave me a cash tip. I didn't even notice he took the boxes out of my hands or slid a $5 bill in my pocket. I was frozen. I knew what may have been going down in that room. I had to leave or least get to where I could get my gun. I know the guy and both ladies saw me, and I know they knew I saw their gun. I had to get out of there. You know, no witnesses. I got in my car and sped away quickly. I got a block or so away and called the cops. I gave them every detail. After I got off the phone with the police, I signed out of lift. I had made much money, but I was done. I got a call later that night and the cops investigated. They never found the gunman or the woman. They never answered the door I saw them come out of. And the occupants of the room they went into said nothing had happened. And then I was full of shit. Well, I know what I saw. So to the gunman I saw with the shotgun, who I'm sure was making a statement to someone about a debt, let's not meet again. I was home for the holidays from college and my friend Sarah invited me to Palm Springs to celebrate New Year's with her mom and our friend Rachel. I didn't have any other plans, so I decided to go with them. We went to a cool city about an hour from where we live that is a big shopping and resort area. We planned to have a pretty calm night, 
watch the ball drop at a block party thing downtown, have a few drinks at a bar. And since we're on the West Coast, the ball drop is at nine. So at around eight, we've entered from our hotel, walking to the block party about a mile away. And on the way, we passed by a very lively bar. We decided to stop by and spent 15 minutes dancing, but didn't get any drinks. It was a gay bar and Sarah and Rachel being gay, they were stoked on it and wanted to come back after the ball drop, even though it was about 90% men there. We continued at the block party, get some dinner, glass of champagne, the ball dropped and they had a DJ. So we spent about an hour there dancing. After we got tired of that, we decided to head back to the bar and hang out there until midnight. Once we get there, Sarah's mom pays for a drink for each of us, but leaves soon after that because she was tired. It was about 10.30 at that point, and Sarah and Rachel and I are enjoying our drinks and having fun dancing. Rachel tried some of my drink since it was one she hadn't had before. I constantly have my guard up when drinking in public and I felt safe at this bar because it was 90% gay men who I thought would not have any interest in me. I went back to the bar to get a second drink and that's the last thing I remember. The rest I've gathered from Sarah and Rachel. Almost immediately after getting my second drink, I asked Rachel to go to the bathroom with me because I wasn't feeling well even though I was completely fine 10 minutes before. And once in the bathroom, I just collapsed onto the floor and I was almost unresponsive. Rachel, now worried, somehow drags my half-lifeless body out to where Sarah was waiting for us. Security, seeing my condition and assuming that I was just wasted, asked us to leave. Sarah and Rachel decided to take me back to the hotel about a half a mile away. And by this point, I was unconscious and there was barely sounds escaping from my mouth. They saw someone leave the bar at the same time as us, who was walking near us, but they were preoccupied with trying to keep my lifeless body off the ground. At one point, I threw up all over myself, the both of them, the sidewalk, etc. And the next part of the story we had to get from Sarah and Rachel Rachel doesn't have much memory of this, but Sarah does. Still struggling to carry me, the man they saw leave the bar approached them. He was hitting on Rachel, trying to get her to go grab a drink with him. She was very agitated and told him to leave. Her friend needed help right now. He didn't take no for an answer and continued to follow us down the street, asking if they wanted to go get drinks with him, if he can help carry me and such. A middle-aged woman witnessing this came up and told the man off. Something along the lines of, stop harassing these young women or I'm going to call the police. And he left after that. Next, by, by some miracle, an EMT and his wife enjoying the holiday ran into us on the street. He checked me out to make sure something wasn't majorly wrong and then he carried me the rest of the way to my hotel and into the room since my friends could barely hold me up. They thanked him profusely and him and his wife left. And this is where Rachel's memory kicks back in. Five minutes later, they get a knock on the door and it's the EMT and his wife again. They came to let us know that a man followed us to the hotel and they just saw him hop the gate and start to make his way to our room. My friends called hotel security, but they were unable to find him. My friends didn't get a glimpse of him, but I'm sure it was the same man from earlier. I spent the rest of the night vomiting everything in my body and dry heaving after that. I woke up the next morning in a pile of pillows and blankets on the bathroom floor. My last memory was at the bar getting a second drink and my friends filled me in on everything that had happened. Feeling like crap, I thought I must have just drank way too much but I have never blacked out before in my life. And the amount of drinks I had, two in two hours, since I didn't get to drink my second at the bar, didn't add up to us being completely unconscious. We decided my first drink had had to been drugged since Rachel had some of it and had no memory of our walk home, even though she was 
fully functional. I'm sure that man was talking to Rachel and then followed us back. And that was the one that slipped something into my drink. And to this day, I don't really know how I could have been slipped something. I got my drink from the bar and never set it down. My best guess was that it was already in the cup. Thankfully, I had good friends and kind strangers protecting me that night. It keeps me up at night thinking what could have happened under different circumstances. When I was a kid growing up in a very small town in the 80s and 90s, my parents often left me and my little sister home alone for a few hours at a time to run errands. My mom had two brothers, and we lived in the same town as one of her brothers and his family. Being a close-knit family, my cousins and I were always over at each other's houses. The adults would leave us alone a lot. Back then, it was standard to tell the kids, don't open the doors for anybody and don't use the stove. We never thought anything about it. After my parents divorced, it happened more often as both of my parents worked different shifts at their jobs. My sister and I lived in a town, and my cousins and my grandma lived outside of town with only a few neighbors nearby. So my sister and I kind of got the best of both worlds, city kids and country kids. Because we lived in such a small community, everyone knew everyone else, and I think we all felt perfectly safe that nothing bad would ever happen. And if it did, our neighbors would help us. Around the time I was eight or nine years old, I would begin to get strange phone calls. It would be a man's voice on the phone, and these calls would almost always come when I was home alone. This person would tell me that they could see me, that they knew I was alone, and that they were coming to get me. When I'd get these calls, I'd usually just hang up without saying anything. Of course, it terrified me, but I was too scared to tell my parents. I was scared by the calls, but I also liked getting to stay home alone. Being left to take care of my sister made me feel grown, and I didn't want my parents to stop leaving me in charge. Stupidly, I kept the calls to myself. One day, while my dad was at work, my cousin, who was a year older than me, was at my house. We were watching TV and playing when the phone rang. She answered it and her face went pale. She hung up and started crying. I immediately asked her what was wrong and she shook her head saying, I can't tell you. I pressed and she finally told me about how this man would call her a lot when she was home alone, always telling her. He knew she was by herself and that he was going to come and get her. I was shocked. I explained that I had been getting the exact same calls, and we immediately agreed that it had to be one of her older brothers or their friends playing a mean joke on us. We calmed down and kind of laughed it off. I didn't get another call for a while after that, so I almost forgot about it. In the summer between my sixth and seventh grade year, my grandma had taken a part-time job and my mom lived in another town. My sister and I were home alone almost all day, every day, while my dad worked. We spent our days outside playing in the yard, riding bikes around the neighborhood, and tanning in our backyard a lot. One day, my sister was going to a friend's house, and my cousin was back at my house. We were listening to music and dancing around the living room when the phone rang. I picked it up, and there it was, the voice. At this point, I was 12 years old and I had developed a little bit of an attitude. And when the man told me that he knew we were home alone, I laughed and said, liar. He waited a moment and said, I can prove that I know you're alone. I laughed again, a little more nervously this time and said, oh yeah, then do it. His response was, I love that little yellow tank top you're wearing today. And by this time, my cousin had turned off the music and was watching me. So she saw me 
when the color drained out of my face. I was freaking out. I had just gotten a new outfit and was wearing it. A yellow tank top and jean shorts with matching yellow and pink patches. And I just yelled, leave us alone, and slammed the phone down. My heart was racing. I started crying, and I told my cousin, it was him. He knows we're here by ourselves. I ran over to shut the living room curtains, and my cousin said, I think we should call somebody. I agreed, but instead of calling the police, she picked up the phone and tried to call her mom at work. We got no answer. I called my dad's work and left the message with the gate guard to have him call me. As we were debating what to do next, I heard the gravel in our driveway crunch under the wheels of the vehicle, and I ran to the window and peeked outside to see a small red car sitting in the driveway. I didn't recognize the car, and I didn't recognize the man and the woman inside of it. In our tiny little town, even if I didn't know someone's name, I would surely know their face, but I didn't know either one of them. I froze with fear as I watched them talking to each other, and my cousin ran to lock the back door. We had no weapons and no real way to defend ourselves other than my softball bat, which was outside on the carport. As my cousin came back into the room, she hissed, we have to hide. My cousin hid in a small space between a tall bookshelf and the wall, and I threw myself beneath our recliner, which was facing the window. I watched in horror as the woman walked up to the front door, and instead of knocking, she tried the knob. I tried to quiet my breathing, convinced that she might be able to hear me, and watched her shadow through the curtains as she walked around to our carport. And sure enough, I heard that doorknob jiggle. There was a pause, and the door shook as if someone was trying to force it open. I covered my mouth and forced myself not to scream. After what felt like an eternity, the sound stopped and everything went quiet. I was too afraid to move, so I just waited. I have no idea how much time passed, but eventually we heard the car backing out of the driveway. And once I got the courage, I ran to peek out the window again to make sure they had really left. I saw no trace of a red car, but I was still racked with fear. I told my cousin that she could come out and we hugged each other in relief. Even though we were scared to go outside, we decided to get on our bikes and ride to the office my aunt worked in. And once we were there, we told her everything. The phone calls and how long they'd been happening. The red car and the description of the people that were inside of it. She immediately called the police and we had to give our statements about it all. When my dad got home from work, he asked me why I'd called the gate guard and my aunt filled him in on everything. From that moment on, we were not allowed to stay by ourselves again until I was probably 16. We never heard anything else about the case and we also never got any more phone calls ever again. It's been years and I still think about that situation often. We never found out who made those calls or who those people in the red car were. The phone calls could have just been some mean prank and those people could have just been trying to simply rob the house or something. But the coincidence that day was crazy. I have no idea if that man kept watching us as we grew up. But the whole thing definitely made me paranoid about a lot of things. And I always made sure to keep a weapon near me at all times when I was home alone. Now, as a single mom, I am forced to leave my kids alone occasionally. But I am overly protective with them, giving tons of instructions and rules about what they can and can't do. They may roll their eyes at me, but I know the dangers of the world that I'd rather be safe than sorry. So to the man and the couple and the red car, let's not ever, ever meet. This happened around eight years back. My two 
teenage male cousins were staying over at our house for the weekend during the summer break. So instead of going out for a drive, my mom suggested we walk to KFC in our neighborhood. It was about an hour and a half walk. Seeing the weather was nice and having two hyper-teen cousins, we went for it. We reached it and had dinner and then made our way back home again. This time we started going through alleyways between houses as a shortcut instead of the main street route. As we were passing the last alleyway shortcut before continuing back on the main road, I felt a weird sensation. Like a faint magnetic pulse waved through me. My mom and cousins later confirmed the same sensation at the same spot. We emerged on the main road and it was dead silent. Yes, it's a housing neighborhood with mainly villas around it, but I mean, it was dead silent. Like the world was put on mute and everything seemed familiar, but quite weird at the same time. The roads and houses looked way older. They had cracks in them and the paint was almost completely faded away or chipped. And to our left was Roundabout, which was now completely gone. And there were freakishly tall trees in its place. To our right was the road that we had to take to get back to the house and we could see the small grocery store we passed on our way to KFC. Yet the neon lights were much brighter and in different colors. Not a single car person, animal, bug, bird was around us. We stood there bewildered by it all. My mom lived in this area before I was born and we can basically navigate blindfolded through it and it's not the first time we take shortcuts. Plus, it's usually alive with people or stray cats 24-7. I thought we can go back and retrace our steps, but when we looked back at the alleyway we came from, it was pitch black darkness and it was just emitting creepiness my mom just said to keep walking back to the house and from our location to the grocery store up front it would usually take five minutes or ten minutes tops if you were walking super slow i glanced at the time and it was 9 30 p.m we walked for what felt like 30 minutes while the store wasn't getting any closer it was like we were walking on a treadmill while staring at a large image We finally started to get closer and I glanced up at my watch again and it was 9.32 p.m. Two minutes only? And even on normal days, that distance would take at least five minutes if you were walking really fast. Two minutes, you, you have to like sprint an Olympic gold runner pace. As we passed by the grocery store, it was still open. They usually closed quite late, but it felt different. The setup inside was slightly changed, and the freakiest thing is that we can't see a single person inside, even though all the lights were on and the doors were wide open. We were joking around to lighten the mood, but we were all obviously freaking out, but trying to maintain our cool. We made it down two roads and finally reached the house. My mom tried the gate key, and it wouldn't open. Then I tried it, and I struggled to get the key in. It was like the cylinder was changed. Suddenly I felt like it got stuck in and I opened the lock and got in. I had quite a few pet cats then and they usually run up to us when we get back to the house. This time only a few of them were around and they kept a huge distance away from us while standing still and staring at us like they'd seen a ghost. The rest were hiding around, peeking and scared. I remember going to my room and sitting on my bed, looking out of my window, just trying to make sense of what happened. But I couldn't shake the creepy feeling. The world felt dead. Not a single sound, not even a breeze. The trees were still like rocks and everything had an eerie feeling to it. I looked at my clock again and it was around 9.40, 9.45 p.m., which again is impossible for the distance that we covered. It's like time flow just insanely slowed down around us. I forced myself to sleep that night, and when I woke up in the morning, everything was back to normal, including time flow. Went out for a drive to backtrack our steps, and it was back to normal. Everything was clean and new. The roundabout was back, and not a single tree was there. I mean, whenever I remember that day, my eyes tear up. 
It creeps me out thinking of getting stuck in that place with no return. When I was a kid, my dad worked in Mexico and would visit us about once a month. We lived in a small town in South Texas. One day before picking him up at the bus station, my mom told my siblings and I to use the bathroom at home so we wouldn't have to use them at the bus station. My brother and sister said they saw me walk into the bathroom, but they never saw me walk out. My mom opened the door to check on me and I was gone. With the layout of our apartment, it would be impossible for me to walk out without anyone noticing. My mom started panicking and called my grandpa, who was a police officer at the time. Within an hour, multiple police officers and neighbors were searching for me at our apartment complex with no luck. Three hours later, my godmother found me in my bedroom, sound asleep on my bed. The weird thing is that there were multiple people searching inside of the apartment as well, and they hadn't found me anywhere inside. It gets weirder. When they asked me where I was, four-year-old me said I was in the sky making clouds with a duck using a machine that had a crank that you would use to spin on one side. And then clouds would come out of the other side. I also kept saying that I would see a red light on the TV screen for a few weeks. I didn't believe this story growing up until I was visiting my grandmother in Mexico City years later. And she confirmed it, saying that my mom had called her crying right after it happened. My family likes to joke that I was abducted by aliens and returned home after a few hours. And this all happened 31 years ago, and I still have no memories of it at all. I'm staying at my friend's house for the weekend to spend time with him while he's back from college. He currently lives with his family, mom, dad, and younger sister. While I was using the bathroom, I looked over to the right and noticed a black square adapter plugged into the wall facing me directly. I looked closer and noticed a black hole in the middle, like kind of looking like a camera. I don't know if it's exactly a camera or just a small hidden LED light to show if something is charging. I then noticed it was connected to a cord leading to what looks like a white charging block, but honestly don't know what it could be. If it's a camera, it definitely caught me staring at it and taking photos, so I'm a bit nervous. Plus, I'm a female. I mean, it's scary to think that somebody could be recording me and could be posting it online for some money. I know he's not the type of person to stalk on somebody, but also he hasn't even been home for that long, so I think it might be his father's. I want to bring it up and ask about it, but I want to make sure that I'm not overreacting. I have photos of the adapter if anyone is interested in helping, and I'm gladly going to send photos to help. Update one, the next day. I was not expecting this much help, Thank you guys so much. I'm currently still here at his house and waiting for my roommate to pick me up and take me home. I currently don't have a car, and if I did, I'd be gone by now. But she's aware of the situation and is just as interested as me and as scared. I do have one issue. When I woke up to use the bathroom, I passed by his, the father's mother's room and noticed what looks like a frantically thrown around room with cards all over the bed. I may just be overlooking, and this could be someone looking for their charger, but again, I felt like it was important to say this. And to answer some questions, yes, the back of the adapter has a weird set of numbers with power adapter model S3 on top of it. When I put those words onto Google, it did come up with recommended search for camera. So again, I don't know if I'm just ever thinking everything simply because I'm paranoid, but if any of you saw that and know what it means, please let me know. Thank you. Another question or misunderstanding. 
It was in the bathroom facing directly to the side of me, but did show the whole shower. Meaning if this is a camera, it's been recording people taking showers, not just taking shits. Some back info on the family. My friend that I've known for a long time is fully gay, and there's mostly women at his house all of the time when my friend isn't here in college. Unless he's snooping on his father, but I really doubt it. But I honestly think it's more likely the father, and he does give me weird vibes. As for the younger sister, I think she's 15. So if this is a camera, I will be infuriated. Yes, because I was recorded, but the moment I see others were, especially the younger sister, I won't be able to shut my mouth when it comes to confrontation. And yes, the family knew ahead of time that I was visiting, if this helps. I don't have an Android phone, but my mom does, so I'll probably use hers and see if I can detect the camera. Lastly, when I took the adapter, I also took the cords connected to it and the white block connected to the cord. Update two. I finally left, guys. It's a fucking camera. I took off the sticker on the back of the adapter and there's a fucking SD card. When I popped out the SD card, there's a fucking A written on it. It's 32 gigabytes as well. I'm so freaked out. I'm freaking out. I mean, I told my friend and he's just in so much distress. He's actually scared. I told him everything, including how I posted it on Reddit. Him and his mother want to see what's on it and take it to the police. Update three. So yes, we found proof of it being a camera and saw the footage on the camera with an SD reader that you plug into your phone. I told my friend and he decided to tell his mother to ask on what to do and she was completely distraught. She immediately contacted a friend who happens to be a lawyer for some advice and she advised that we take it to the authorities and we were planning to. While browsing the footage, we noticed it wasn't anything too revealing. And yes, I know it's still illegal to record anyone without their permission or knowledge, but it still helped us deal with everything a bit better. My friend decided to confront his father about it, but he admits a friend from his job loaned it to him a year ago, but quickly quit the company after suing the company after an injury and fleeing from the country after receiving his money. So now we're currently trying to find proof that this exchange ever even happened. And it could actually be this man knowingly gave an older man with a younger daughter and son a hidden camera to capture them and, I don't know, maybe sell them online. Allegedly, in theory, don't come for me. Now, as for what's on the card, was over 70 videos, different amounts of footage and folders. Only one folder had the videos, but there was a WhatsApp folder that was empty, which was weird. A lot of it was black, just showing the candle burning all day, but it did capture people using the bathroom. I'll try to keep updating as I go, but it's a lot to uncover for me. I'm still in denial about this, so I'm just going at my own pace as well as my friends and families. My friend said his dad was really upset once he was told his daughter, wife, and son were possibly recorded. So I don't, I don't know. Take that as you will. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blaming on the Aliens. If you have your own personal story that you would like to share, send it to blamingonthealiens1 at gmail.com or click the link in the description to send a voice link message. And you can also DM me on Instagram at blamingonthealienspodcast is my username. And I would love to just hear feedback in general if you don't have a story to share or you know, you can link your favorite Reddit stories. And I would love to ask permission to those authors to, to read their story on the show. And if you are an author who did give me permission, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's very appreciated. And I love your stories all so much. They're just so intriguing and terrifying and they help teach us to be careful on 
holidays, especially, I guess, for this episode and just in general, like be aware of your surroundings and don't take everything so lightly, I guess, but also don't, don't take life too seriously, but definitely be aware of your surroundings. I don't know if that helps or not, but I hope these stories do kind of help you learn and be more aware and protect yourself. So with that being said, I will be back for our next episode on this coming Wednesday. And if you have not already rated me five stars, please do so. It really helps the show out. And I hope that this year our podcast can really grow and you can share Blame It on the Aliens with all of your friends who love this kind of genre and we can develop a little fam here. So I will see you guys next week with more creepy stories.